How are we doing, everyone? Good to see you guys. Hey, welcome back to week two of Salt Company. It was so fun having you guys here uh, last week. Glad to see you back this week. Uh, if we haven't met yet, my name is Trent Elliott, and I am the director of Salt Company here in Cedar Falls. My wife and I, we actually just moved to Cedar Falls uh, about a year and a half ago. Starting to feel like home. We love it uh, here. Since then, we've actually added one to our, our family. And so I brought a picture of my family here. Latest picture. Here it is. Oh, wait. And there it is. Yes. So that is my beautiful wife, Kirsten. We have been married for uh, just over five years now. We met freshman year of Salt Company. Um, so fellas, there's hope for you. Uh, and I love her so much. We're actually the opposite in a lot of ways, like uh, extrovert, introvert, right brain, left brain. I forget which one's which. That probably tells you which one I am. Um, but yeah, best friend, love her so much. And that is our daughter, Elsie. So she is just over nine months now. She's one of the biggest blessings in our, in our life. Uh, she's not much into talking yet, but her kind of latest activity is growling. Uh, so big growler. We were walking uh, in Hartman Reserve last weekend. And let's just say no animals were going to mess with us. Okay. So that's my little predator right there. So that's my family. Guys, tonight we are starting a new series called Essentials. Over the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at three essential kind of practices or habits of the Christian life, Bible, community, and mission. These are three things that God calls us as Christians to follow him in, to be people of the Bible, of the word of God, to be people who walk in community, who go through the ups and downs of life together, and to be people who have both received the gospel and to be people who share the gospel. So Bible, community, mission, three essential practices of the Christian life. And I know I'm personally excited about this series because when I was a freshman, I was a newer believer. I was like, okay, I'm a believer. I want to follow Jesus in college. Like, uh, what do I do? And that was like kind of Bible community mission. One of the first things we hit on, it was super helpful. Okay, here's, here's actually what a healthy follower of Christ looks like. But even if you're not a follower of Christ and you're just kind of trying to figure out what this is all about, I think this will also be an awesome series for you. Uh, one of the best ways to learn about a football team or any team is to look at the way they practice, look at the things they do, and we can learn a lot about what they believe. So similarly, I think looking at the essential practices of the Christian life will teach you a lot about what Jesus is all about, what Christianity is all about. So Bible community mission, all essential practices of the Christian life. And here's the thing. In order to be a healthy follower of Christ, you need all three. If you take even one out, you'll be missing something that's essential to the way that we're supposed to follow Christ. So let me explain to you. We have a, a Venn diagram here, Venn Bible Community Mission. So Bible Community Mission, if you are someone who just has Bible, but you don't have community or mission, we have kind of names for each of these. This is the person who falls into the Bible quiz champion. They're the Bible quiz champion. The person who has all of the right answers, right? If you were to do like a sword drill, like, hey, open up to this verse, like they're the fastest one there, but they also don't really apply that to their lives. They don't share it with others. It's kind of just all in their, they have the Bible, but they don't really do anything with it. Next, we have the person who just has a mission. We call them the vacuum, vacuum salesman. This is the person who is all in on mission. They have something that they want to sell you, something you probably don't even really need that much, but they're going door to door. They're trying to sell it to you. 
but they don't really have anything of substance to offer. Anybody vacuum their, their apartment yet? No, I know. I'd, good for you guys. I don't think I ever vacuumed my apartment in college, so that's great. Next we have uh, the person who is just community. Call this the fantasy football league. So this one actually hits home for me because my fantasy football league in high school was basically my youth group. Uh, fun fact is I uh, three-time, you're looking at a three-time champion right here, fantasy football league in high school. So that's right. Another fun fact is I once won a league on a stat correction. Uh, that's right. I went to bed on a Monday night, lost the championship by half point, woke up Tuesday night, stat correction, won by a half a point. Yeah, let's go. It's right, baby. Let's go. Uh, also, fun fact, I haven't won a league since. So this is the year. Let's go. So this is the person, though, who has a group of people who find friendship, maybe through church or whatever, but never go deep personally or live outwardly. So you might fall in one of these camps if you only have one of these essential practices. What if you have two? So if you have uh, Bible and you have mission, but you don't have community, we call this the Lone Ranger. Or another name might be the street preacher, the person who wants to share the Bible with others, but they don't have any community around them to keep them from doing dumb things. That's kind of what God has created community for, pretty simply, is to keep us from doing dumb things. He's created us to do things together. If you have mission and you have community, but no Bible, this is a group of people we, uh, we call a social activist club. Right? People coming around a common cause, but their common cause is not based around Scripture. Right? They might have a good cause, and, and there's probably many great groups here, but if they don't have a regard for Scripture, that's all they are as a social activist club. And finally, we have the person in the Bible, in community, we call them the holy huddle. Right? This is honestly probably the easiest one for a lot of us in this room to fall into. We love scripture. We love this community we have. But if we're honest, we just kind of want to keep it to ourselves. We just want to enjoy it, not really let anyone in. This is the holy huddle. And in the middle, we have a healthy follower of Christ. Each of these disciplines are essential if we want to be healthy followers of Christ. Without even one, we're missing a critical piece of what Jesus is calling us to. So maybe even think for yourself, where would you put yourself? What kind of circle would you put yourself in? For the next three weeks, this is what we're going to look at. The three kind of essential practices of the Christian faith. Tonight we're starting with Bible. So that's where we're heading. So what is the Bible? Well, very simply, we believe the Bible is the word of God. That through the authorship of a handful of individuals throughout human history, that God has given us a book revealing himself to us. That human authors wrote the words, but that God inspired them. That God wrote us a book. The Bible consists of 66 different books, actually. 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 books in the New Testament, Throughout it, we see a multitude of genres represented, right? There's books that are read more like a history book, some more like songs or narratives or prophetic writings, letters, all wind together to tell the unified grand story of God saving humanity through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So that's what we believe the Bible to be. And for some of you, this is old news. Uh, you're pretty familiar with the Bible. I grew up around the Bible, but for others... Maybe you absolutely know nothing about the Bible. And I think for a lot of us, maybe you fall somewhere in between. It's like, yeah, like I try to read it every once in a while. Usually I fall asleep. It doesn't work out too well, right? We have different experiences with the Bible. But here's what I believe. 
I believe that when it, when it comes to the Bible, I believe that what you do with the Bible in college will have a tremendous impact on your life. I believe it will have a tremendous impact on your life, what you do with the Bible. College is a time where you make a lot of decisions, right? Do I eat ramen or do I eat mac and cheese? Do I put the mac and cheese in a bowl or do I eat it straight out of the pot? Anybody? Yeah, Yeah, it's so much easier. You're going to eat the whole thing anyways, right? Should I go to class or should I hit the snooze button for the 30th time and skip class? Anybody skipping class yet? I see a few guilty people out there. Come on, week two? Who's cheering that? Week two? Come on. It's not. It's week two. Should I major in this or this? Right? Should I sign up for this class or this class? Should I live with this person or this person or take this job or this job? You'll make a lot of decisions. Some have small consequences. Some have huge consequences. Here's what I believe. Out of all the decisions you can make, one of the biggest decisions that you will make is what do you do with this book? What do you do with this book? What do you do with the Bible? I believe that decision will have a tremendous impact on your life for these next four years and for the rest of your life. So we're going to read about this in Psalm 1. You go ahead and open up your Bibles if you brought one to Psalm chapter 1. Otherwise, we'll have it on the screen. You can follow along. Psalm 1, though, is going to present to us this decision, right? Two paths that we can take in how we interact with God's word. So let's read it. Psalm chapter 1. Verse 1. How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked, or stand in the pathway with sinners, or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. The wicked are not like this. Instead, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand up in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. So in this psalm, we see two different paths of life presented. You can almost picture it. And because it's a song, that's what psalm means. It's a song that they would have sung. It even kind of uses this poetic language to color in this picture of these two paths. One path is the person that says, it starts, it says, how happy is this person? How happy is the person? There's a joy to him. The person who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, they delight in the Lord's instruction. They delight in God's words. They meditate on them day and night. They are like a tree planted beside flowing streams, bearing much fruit. That's kind of one path, one picture we see. Then there's another path right, that the text implies. The path of the person who does not walk in the, who does walk in the advice of the wicked, who does stand in the pathway with sinners, who does sit in the company of mockers. These are the things a person is surrounded by day and night. They're like a leaf that is withering away, is the picture. They are easily blown away like chaff, like a piece of hay in the wind. Two pictures, one person who lives and breathes the word of God and the other who lives and breathes the words of others and other people in the world. We see two paths. 
But we also see two destinations, right? Just as all paths lead somewhere, where do these paths lead? One lead to flourishment and a life of prospering, and the other leads to ruin and judgment. The difference in these paths is we paint this picture. What is the difference? What does this person do with the word of God? So I want to spend the rest of our time kind of walking down these paths together and kind of examining each path carefully and, and asking the question, what can we learn about the word of God? So look back at verses 1 and 2 with me. It says, How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction and he meditates on it day and night. So as we examine these two paths, the first kind of thing we notice that is different is what each person is being influenced by most. Right? On one side, we have the person who's walking in the advice of the wicked, standing in pathways with sinners and sitting in the company of mockers. And the interesting thing kind of to note, and even in this language that it presents, is kind of this image of slowing down and staying for a while. Right? From walking by, this person goes, to standing amongst, to now sitting with. You can kind of see this progression of slowing down and staying from for a while. They went from passing by these people to becoming one of these people, from listening to their sinful advice to practicing in their sinful ways. What we are seeing is that who you follow will inevitably shape the way that you live. Who you follow will inevitably shape the way you live. Right? One quote I've heard is that we're basically all the, the sum average of the five people that we spend the most time with. Right? Maybe a few of you are like, yeah, that's me and my roommates. We just kind of, all our jokes become the same. We kind of blend together, right? Uh, maybe for you, it's like, I relate with that. It's like, hey, I know when I'm around this crowd, like I'm kind of formed. I look like them. I make, tend to make bad decisions when I'm with these people. For others, though, maybe you think like, oh, my friends are generally pretty, you know, good people. We don't get into too much trouble. Not really a bad influence on me. For you, maybe it's less who you follow in person and honestly, for a lot of us, who we follow online, right? Like, honestly, there's the people in front of us all day long. I know this is probably the bigger problem for me. If we look at our screen time and we ask the question, what is influencing me the most? The words of God or the people that I'm scrolling past constantly? Right? I know if I examined this, I'd be guilty a lot these past few weeks in my life. We don't really notice it as we're scrolling, but it is influencing us. Right? I mean, it's literally right in the name. We're scrolling through watching influencers. I think it's important to recognize that we might not be hanging out with the worst of sinners, but we are being influenced by the things that we surround ourselves, that we intake every single day. So the question, what are you being influenced by most and what direction is it taking you? If you're honest with yourself, what's the biggest influence in your life? Is it the word of God, right? Or is it the Kardashian sisters? I don't know if people still follow the Kardashian sisters. In, insert your favorite influencer. I don't know who you guys follow. Kardashian sisters? Kirsten told me they don't call them the Kardashian sisters. I don't know why I'm even saying that. So anyways, insert your influencer. Okay. Who's your influencer? Okay, we'll get that. Is it the word of God or is it an influencer? Is it, a, is it the podcaster that you can't miss every week? Is it the YouTuber? Is it a politician? Are they the ones doing the primary shaping of who you are and how you think and what you believe? 
This is the path of the one who follows the wicked and the sinners and the mockers of God. This is one path. And then we see this other path. The one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction and he meditates on it day and night. Two interesting things I want us to see here from this path. First of all, the word meditate here literally means to mumble to oneself. So at times throughout the entire day, this person is mumbling to themselves the words of God. They have written it in their minds and on their hearts. These are the words they're bringing themselves, they're constantly bringing themselves to themselves to remind them of truth. What is influencing the life of this person more than anything else? Not their friends, not the crowds they pass by every day, but the very words of God. Now, I don't think this is, you know, a point at all to tell us like, hey, you should never walk by non-believers because they might corrupt you. Or you should, never, you should only follow Christians on social media. But I do think it is asking the question, what is influencing you most? Because for this person, more than anything else, it is the word of God. The second interesting thing here on this path is something that I think it's easy for us to miss. As we're reading through, we can just kind of read it and be like, oh, yeah. And that is that the thing this person is meditating on, what is it? It's the Lord's instruction. This is not just any book that this person is meditating on day and night. We have the Lord's instruction. Guys, think about that. Like, if if that's what we believe, God wrote us a book. There's a lot of opinions out there about how we should live and what the, the answers to the big questions are, but God gave us the answer key. Those on the path of the wicked will be persuaded towards a lot of different ideas, just as we are. This is the way to happiness. This is how you find purpose in life. This is what we see blasted in our faces 24-7. This is the way. This is the way. Our world has a lot of advice to offer about how we should live, but isn't it amazing that with all of that advice out there, with many ideas on how to live, that God has given us the very instruction that we need. That he has given us his word. He has given us truth. So as we zoom out and look at these two paths, what can we learn from these verses about the word of God? The first thing I think we can learn is that God's word is truth and we can know it. God's word is truth and we can know it. So I want to unpack that just a little more. God's word is truth. And notice I didn't just say true, okay? Though I also believe it to be true. In fact, uh, it's the most textually examined historical document in all of history. The New Testament alone has 5,600 original manuscripts with an accuracy rate of 99.5% between copies, which is absolutely amazing when you consider that these were handwritten copies. The second most would be all the way down, it's Homer and the Iliads, the, uh, Homer's the Iliad and the Odyssey with 643 original manuscripts with 95% accuracy between copies. So the events of the Bible are true and they're carefully recorded, but more than that, God's word is truth. See, we live in a really interesting time in regard to how our culture thinks about truth. Like for a long time, our culture believed in order for something to be true, you have to prove it to me. Like show me the evidence, prove it to me, and then I'll believe it to be true. Now culture pretty much has gone the exact opposite way. 
right? The most common understanding of truth is that there's many truths out there. We can all have our own truths. You follow Jesus. That's good for you. That's your truth. I have my own. We can both have our own as long as your truth doesn't infringe on mine, right? Much of culture today rejects the idea of a singular objective truth. But the Bible's claim is the opposite, that there is one truth, and that truth is the word of God. John 17, 17, Jesus is praying for his disciples. He says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. John 14, 6, Jesus told him, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The Christian belief is that there is one truth, that there is one road to heaven, and that road to heaven is through Jesus Christ. Right? You might think that that sounds like an arrogant claim, like to claim that there is one way to God in this day and age. But I would make the claim that it's actually more arrogant to believe that there are many truths and to claim that there are many ways to God. There's a pastor named Tim Keller who described it kind of like a mountain. And at the top of the mountain is heaven. And the skeptic will say that it's arrogant to claim from down here all the way at the bottom of the mountain that I know the one path, way, the one path to heaven. That there's one path and only one path. That's your truth, but someone else might have their, their path, their, their way. Both can be right, is my, maybe the claim that they would make. But Tim Keller makes the argument that this is actually the more arrogant claim. To claim that you know that there are multiple ways, multiple truths, ways to heaven. Because to know that there are multiple ways, what does that imply? That implies that you are at the top of the mountain and that you can see down the mountain and see all of the different ways up. This is to put yourself in the position of God. This is the more arrogant claim. The Christian belief is not that we magically know the one way up the mountain. It's that we believe that God came down from the mountain and showed us the one way, which is through Jesus Christ. The way is through him. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. And listen, in a world where we hear over and over, you can believe whatever you want, I believe what I believe, you believe what you believe, we can both be right. Because I think there's something in us that actually longs for more solid ground than that. There's a strong security that comes in knowing that the truth that I'm basing my life on is not just a truth, shaking and changing as often as I like, but it's the truth. And it's a truth we can know. You don't need special clearance to hear from God. It's at our fingertips. The person on the right path sees what we often don't, that that's God's word is truth and that we can know it. And so he responds in the only appropriate way to meditate on it day and night, to cling to it with all that he has, to never let it leave his mind or his lips. How happy is the one who's not influenced by the ways and the practices of the people around him who delights in the Lord's instruction, who delights in truth. God's word is not just true, it is truth. If you want to know truth, open up the Bible and read it. There's a delight that comes with it, a stability in a world of instability. God's word is truth. So let's continue to follow these two paths. Okay, look at verse three with me. Verse 3 continues to paint this picture. It says, He is like a tree 
planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. So again, we see these two paths continue to play out through this imagery, right? The image of the one who meditates on the word of God is like a strong and healthy tree beside flowing streams with plenty of water for its roots to soak up into. It, it's, it bears its fruit when it's supposed to. It's full of life. That's this one picture we see. The other person on the path looks more like my garden, which is sad and droopy and thirsty, neglected, leaves withering away. It turns out I can only keep one thing alive at once, and I'm, I think I chose the right thing. My daughter. So <laughs> I don't know if it was clear there. One can withstand storms and winds and heat because of its strength, and one is withering away. This is the second thing we learn about the Word of God from these two paths, that God's Word is a source of life. That the truth in it brings life and health and stability and fruit to our lives like a mature tree. A few summers ago, my wife and I took a trip to Yosemite National Park, which was amazing. Uh, it's obviously different than Sequoia National Park, but it has kind of some of those similar uh, ginormous trees. So we went on a short hike to see this one tree. It's the biggest at the park. It's called the Enduring Giant. I actually brought a picture of it. There it is. There's me doing the, this is a big tree pose. And uh, it is a giant, absolutely ginormous tree. A few fun facts about the Enduring Giant. It is 1,800 years old. It is 209 feet tall, 96 feet in circumference. And if you look at it closely, the shading is weird, but uh, you can actually kind of see blackened spots, which are almost like scars on this tree. That's because this tree has endured numerous forest fires, severe storms, lightning, and strong winds for 1,800 years. Right? It's almost like nature is doing everything that it can to take this tree down. But here it is still, hence why they call it the Enduring Giant. So how is this tree standing still? Because it really shouldn't be if it's gone through all of that. Well, I did some research on the roots of this tree. Here's what I found. This is a quote. Giant sequoias normally develop an extensive root system very early in their careers. Apparently trees have careers. <laughs> Within the first two years of growth, the root system begins to branch out more and more thickly and as the tree grows, as the tree grows larger. Eventually, the roots of the larger trees reach out 100 to 150 feet and in some cases may reach out to more than 200 feet. This means that some large sequoias extend their, their area of influence throughout some four square areas, acres of forest land. Ginormous roots. How does it endure fires, storms, lightning, and winds? Over 1,800 years, it has deep roots in solid ground. This is what God's word is. God's word is solid ground, and it's a source of life. We see that the one who plants themselves in the word of God is happy, but it never says that their life is perfect. It never says they never go through trials or hardship or sickness or death. They go through the same thing that all of us go through. The only difference is that they endure and they have happiness 
in those circumstances that's rooted in solid ground. While the wicked withers away when trials come, those who cling to the word of God remain. And the same is true for us. Guys, life is hard. I feel like I've been made more aware of that in the last few weeks than than ever before. Just people and stories that I know of hardships, sicknesses, diagnoses, parents with broken marriages, financial hardships, mental health struggles, something that maybe some of you are feeling right now, circumstances in your life, and it's not feeling right now that we all will feel at some point. The reality of sin and brokenness in this world is very real. The question is, when these things inevitably come, how deep are our roots and are we ready for those storms? Because the word of God is the source of life, the only source of life that grows those roots, that plants us in those truths. And these truths never change. They are a source of life that gives us strength to endure through anything. So maybe you're coming in here this week, you know, feeling like you don't have much worth, feeling down on yourself. Well, God says you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation, 1 Peter 2.9. That is solid ground. Maybe you're coming in here, you feel like I'm not pretty enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not strong enough. Society tells me to be this way, this day, and this way, this day. God says that I am fearfully and wonderfully made Psalm 139. Sometimes we doubt whether God will continue to be faithful to us. He's been faithful to us in the past. Will he be faithful to me again? We doubt that and we feel bad that we in that moment are feeling faithless. And if that feels oddly specific, this scenario, that's because maybe that was me this last week. Well, God says we, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Second Timothy Sometimes we don't feel like we're going to make it to the other side through that circumstance. God says, I will go with you. I will never leave you or abandon you. Deuteronomy 21. Sometimes we, we, we just all, all that we want is for the death and the pain and the, 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 the sickness in this world to go away. God says, I will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Revelation 21.4. Guys, no friend or no crowd or no influencer, none of the 15,000 self-help books that are published every year can give you this type of solid ground. God's word is the only true source of life. The man on this path isn't happy because life is always super easy, but because God is with him. So we've seen two paths, this picture of two paths, but here's the reality is every path has a destination. And so what is the destination of each of these paths? Look at verse four with me. Verse four, the destination, the wicked are not like this. Instead, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand up in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. Two paths, two destinations. The destination of the wicked is clear. Those who put their hope, who cling onto, who are influenced most by earthly wisdom will blow away like chaff. The way of the wicked leads to ruin. 
both in this life and in the life to come. On the day of judgment, they will stand guilty before God, guilty in their wickedness, sin, and mockery of God. But the one who holds on to the word of God, God watches over, God will protect. They will be able to stand both in this life and in the life to come, but not because of their own doing, not because they just did the right things, but because of the solid truths in the word. John 3.16 says, For God loved the world in this way, he gave his one and only Son, that so whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. This is the truth that we can hold on to now and forever. This is the source of life that we can put our hope in and it's available to each of us tonight. God has given it to us. So to return where we started, out of all the decisions that you make in college, here is one of the biggest ones that you will make. What do you do with this book? What do you do with the word of God? Will you ignore it and continue to be influenced most by the things of this world and the things you're scrolling through every single day and the people around you? Or will you see it like the happy person in Psalm 1 as the true word of God that gives life? There are two paths. There's nothing preventing you from stepping onto the right one. It's a path that is open. So what does it look like for you to take a step? A few practicals here. For you, maybe you're like me. And you look at your screen time, you look at your Bible time, you're asking the question, what am I actually influenced by most? What does it look like to tip back the scale just even a little bit this week? Maybe that's the first step. Maybe for you, this is the year for the first time, you establish a habit of Bible reading. Reading the Bible every single day, set a time in the morning or right before bed or, or on your way to school, whatever it looks like. Start with the chapter of day. Maybe that's the step you take on this path to spend time with God every single day. For you, maybe this, this week, you memorize a verse and you begin mumbling it to yourself every day and in times of need. You put it on your heart and you go to it time and time again to get you through. And for you, maybe you've never touched a Bible in your life. This is completely new to you. That's okay too. And we are so glad that you are here. What does it look like to take a step? What does it look like to take a step, open the word, and know when you, hey, when you start reading, it's probably going to be confusing at first. You're probably not going to know what's going on. That's okay. God is welcoming you into that. We're welcoming you into that. Couple tips. Read it with people. Right? Read it with a friend. Say, hey, do you want to read this with me? Or, re- or ask, like, go to your connection group leader uh, for, for questions. Go to us for questions. Read it with people. God has designed us to be in community and to, to help each other understand. Another tip. Uh, there's a bunch of awesome resources out there. Uh, look up the Bible Project on YouTube. Uh, this is when I first started reading my Bible. It was the thing that like, helped me actually to do it for the first time. It has amazing videos that walks through context. Big idea of each book that you can watch and then, and then dive into. Look up some of those resources. 
Maybe you don't know where to start. What do I do if I don't know where to start? I was in a meetup with someone this week. They're like, I don't know where to start. It kind of feels like Star Wars. Do I start in episode one? Do I start in episode four? Correct answer is episode four. We like that? No. Okay. I didn't, I don't know what you guys think. <laughs> thing is, it doesn't matter for the Bible either, okay? You start in the beginning, you start at the end, it doesn't really matter. If you need a place to start, I'd recommend start in Matthew. Start in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Walk through, understand the life of Jesus. Guys, here's the thing. Wherever you're at, take a step. God wrote us a book. And it's full of truth and it's full of life. What will you do with it? Let's pray. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you that you are a holy God who is almighty and great in so many ways, but who has also become near to us, who's come down from the mountain to show us the way, to give us your very words and instruction in this life. God, would we see the book as what it is, your words, And would we cling to it, God, would you help us to cling to it like it is the only thing that is necessary, like it is the only thing that can save us, because it is. God, would you help us each to establish that habit in our life of opening your word, Lord. I pray that you would speak to us through it, God. This is what you do. Lord, as we open these words, would we see our sin? Would we see who you are, our condition, and that Jesus is the only one who can make us righteous. God, would you work in each of our lives through your powerful word. In your name we pray. Amen.